Choices every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free, one of us is chained, none of us are free. Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, and in on the line you have Jacob, which is me, and Zane. Hello. Um, I guess before um, we announce what's coming up, um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandering land of the Kulin Nation. Uh, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and um, present, and that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Certainly. Now, I guess it probably is appropriate to start off with this story um, in light of that acknowledgement, but a bit of a positive kind of news story um, popped up yesterday, um, but listeners are probably aware of the whole case of um, the Yorta Yorta woman Tanya Day's death in police custody. Um, So in the week before the inquest, um, which I think is starting on Monday, um, the following week, this, this coming week, um, the Andrews government has announced that it will abolish the offence of public drug, drunkenness and replace it with an Aboriginal-led public health response. Um, and this is reading from a media release by the Human Rights Law Centre. Um, the family of Tanya Day said, This is welcome news, but it's tinged with grief and sadness. In the end, it took the death of our mother for the government to repeal laws that should have been abolished 30 years ago when the recommendations of the Royal Commissions into Aboriginal deaths in custody were released. Um, The government's commitment is a great first step, but they need to back their words with action and repeal the law quickly so that no other Aboriginal person dies in custody. And I guess to give a bit of background, possibly for listeners who might not be aware, in December 2017, Tanya Day was taken off a train and arrested for being drunk in a public place. She fell and hit her head in police custody and later died from a brain hemorrhage. And, you know, the, what, what, um, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and numerous, numerous, um, subsequent returning inquiries have recommended repealing the offence of public drunkenness since Tanya Day's death. Her family and the broader Aboriginal community have tirelessly campaigned for the offence of public drunkenness to be abolished and an end to Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, and so the, the, um, the, um, that, that said, despite the fact that this law um, is um, going to be 
hopefully reformed. Um, the coronial inquest into Tanya Day's death in police custody is due to begin on Monday, 26th of August. And the family of Tanya Day are seeking justice for their mother and want answers to who and what institution contributed to their mother's death and who should be held responsible. What role did racism play in their mother's death and whether she was treated differently um, by Victorian police and V-Line because she was an Aboriginal woman and whether this, their mother's death was investigated impartially and independently given a Victorian police officer was assigned to investigate the failures of other police, Victorian police officers who were tasked with looking after their mother. So I guess generally this is, a, I guess, a good news story, especially since I think it comes off the back of the fact that there were a lot of... Um, Aboriginal activists and um, other activists who campaigned quite heavily um, for this reform um, from the campaigning stores and the petitions from a number of the actions that were organised. Um, so I think this is a good step. Um, but, of course, to change the topic to in another direction, um, the same Daniel Andrews government that is, you know, putting forward this positive reform is still trying to push ahead with um, the cutting of the sacred trees in Jabberwon. Mm. Um, and they, it appears that essentially um, that in terms of reports from the protest camp, uh, it appears that they're still planning to go ahead. In fact, it was supposed to be happening this Wednesday, this Thursday, but hundreds of protesters have actually turned up on the protest camp, which might be delaying um, the, wor- um, the police from moving in and breaking up the campsite. Yeah, it's really uh, exciting... Uh, uh, Im- impressive to see this show of solidarity with the uh, Jabberung uh, protest camp out there and there's yeah, been a few news articles protester numbers surge at sacred tree site as eviction clash looms and yeah, if listeners are able we'll mention this as well in the activist calendar at 8 o'clock there is a uh, sort of convoy, a solidarity convoy leaving from Trades Hall tomorrow morning. So if you are able to get up there and support the picket, uh, yeah, get along. Yeah, I think it's gonna it's gonna need a lot as many numbers as possible through um, throughout the next week. I mean, one positive thing I think that has happened as this campaign has heated up has been there has been some very significant media coverage of yeah. um, the campaign. In fact, the New York Times actually covered this um, story wow. um, from a position that is sympathetic towards the protesters and critical of the government, um, <coughs> and. There was also um, there's also a good article in the conversation um, that um, and there's been a number of people um, think there's been I don't know the kind of specific details but there has been um, people who used to work for Rick Rhodes have been kind of speaking out about how much of a mess the kind of um, bureaucracy has been in fact the fact that they've not done any they've not listened to the Aboriginal activists about pursuing an alternative route. <coughs> yes, and I think that's very significant. That's the sort of story that would that would be well known to those at the protest camp and probably a lot of local people in and around the Ararat community, but it's not so well known in the broader sort of Melbourne population, but that's been part of the coverage that's come out as a result of this solid um, protest. And, yeah, the... Uh, Jabberung and landholders and a uh, retired traffic engineer put together this alternative northern route which would entirely avoid the um, 
the area special to the Jabarung people. And, yeah, as you point out, this was just blatantly ignored and disregarded by Vic Rhodes, and they've pushed ahead with this, you know, horrible plan where they just save half a dozen of the most significant trees and just bulldoze a road through the rest of the um, of the site. It's, it's not just about saving those six trees. The whole area is important. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was, I've been working out of town, out of range of uh, 3CR, and so I've had um, ABC Melbourne on. And, uh, yeah, there was an interview with one of those ABC... I can't remember if it was uh, John Fain or... Uh, Raf Epstein, one of those people, and you know, he's, he was interviewing um, Zelenak from the uh, Jabberung, like one of the main spokespeople there, and trying to get him to justify in dollar terms why they should reroute the thing around and not just plough it through the uh, the trees. And it's like, well, are, are you serious? Are you are you actually getting an Aboriginal person to try and justify in, in dollar terms why you shouldn't bulldoze their cultural heritage? Mm. Well, and, um, and I also think it's complete hypocrisy. Um, like, imagine, right, let me think of some, what, what is an example of a Western sacred site? Oh, the Shrine of Remembrance. Yeah. Um, let's um, imagine if, um, if the government were considering, um, you know, cutting the Shrine of Remembrance in half to build some freeway or freeway train or station. Train station. Um, there would be massive uproar from um, the establishment, especially mm. the right wing establishment. And but actually, so disrespectful so to dis- the memory of our of our elders. Yeah, and um, but of course, the, the fact is that that kind of decision wouldn't even factor. That wouldn't even be considered by the government. Something right. like that, because it's just it's an example of you know how white supremacist um, Australia is, because it is a country founded on stolen land, and actually just shows how little. They care about preserving and respecting Aboriginal culture, mm. um, despite the pretense of the Andrews government being a so-called progressive government that is pursuing treaty. And in fact, there's one slogan that the protesters have been kind of putting, pushing, which is no treaty, no, well, no trees, no treating. Mm. Um, the, yeah, the government can't go on about how it's, you know, progressive, um, because it's, um, doing treaty when it's, Doing, when it's doing this to the, the sacred tree site. Hmm. Yeah, so if you are uh, if you are able to get up there, uh, in particular if you're a trade unionist, uh, yeah, your support of the protest camp would be really supported and, and uh, valuable at this critical uh, juncture. Hmm. Okay, um, we'll just play a quick announcement and I'll probably move to a quick sort of um, short news thing and then um, we'll go into our first interview. Forgot what we had coming up for our program. So at 7.15am we are going to be interviewing um, O'Neill who's a West Papuan activist. In fact there's been kind of a a big development that's actually happened at West Papua and so there's a snap protest going to be happening at 11am. I haven't actually even had time to actually find out what has actually happened so we'll hopefully be hearing from him to find out what the current situation in West Papua is um, and then at 7.45 we'll be talking with Eric who is a Hong Kong Chinese activist um, Hong Kong Australian Chinese activist um, who will be talking about the protests um, that are happening in Hong Kong and what is kind of the current kind of situation there 
Um, so yeah, we'll just play a quick announcement, um, and then we'll move on to hopefully a bit of a short news story and then to our fir- a first interview. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. The Renegade Pub Football League proudly presents its inaugural Pride Round, Paint in Victoria Park, Rainbow, on Saturday, August 24th. Celebrating diversity in pub football, this free community event offers a laid-back afternoon of gender-inclusive Aussie Rules football, alongside DJs and a charity barbecue. Saturday, August 24th, gates open at 12.30. For more information, including pub footies August and September fixture, visit www.rpfl.com.au. The Renegade Pub Football League is a 3CR supporter. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is 7.13am. Um, one thing I thought I would share would be um, just a bit of a report back on um, the Extinction Rebellion protests that happened over the weekend, um, which was um, the ride-in to die-in um, in, in um, Coburg to Brunswick. Um, it was actually a really good turnout. In mm. fact, me, both me and Zane were there. Um, there were over around 400, around 500-ish kind of people. In fact, I reckon even six, 700. That, that was a pretty solid crowd. Uh, I mean, possible, but um, at the same time, everyone had bikes, which made the protest look a bit bigger than what what mm. it might have normally looked like. But, yeah, I thought it was a really good turnout. Took over Sydney Road, good um, and And it, it took over Sydney Road and sort of showed, um, you know, a really sort of good taste of what um, the different sort of local groups in Extinction Rebellion are kind of capable of mobilising. Um, and so it's all kind of building up. I guess one of the kind of things that kind of came out of the protests is that we have this very kind of radical kind of environmental calendar uh, in a sense of what's coming up. I mean, there's this been this famous slogan, um, which is strike, occupy, shut it down. And that's actually the next three major events for the climate in terms of climate activism, because um, we have the September 20th global strike um, organised by the school, um, organised by school strike for climate. Um, and then, which is a climate strike. And then on October the 6th to the 7th or that week, um, from that, um, from that, um, from that, from that day, we have the, the occupation or 
the weaker rebellion organized by Extinction Rebellion, which is looking like it's going to occupy a significant section, occupy various intersections and Carlton Gardens will be kind of like the main base for that. And then there'll be the shut it down part, which is there'll be activists going to be organizing to hopefully shut down the upcoming International Mining and Resources Conference, IMARC. Um, so yeah, there's this, that's just things that was building towards a big, massive sort of mo- one massive mobilisation after another, which all involved kind of different things from a strike occupy and then shutting it down. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, very exciting, exciting times. Yeah, probably about well, ten years ago, over ten years ago now, we saw um, the emergence. Uh, what was it, the Al Gore film Inconvenient Truth came out and then David Spratt and Philip Sutton uh, released Climate Code Red and started going giving uh, talks about that book and we saw the emergence of local climate action groups and some big protests like the Walk Against Warming and then the Labor government got in, they bought, the, they bought in the, the carbon price and we saw a real sort of demobilisation, a gradual demobilisation of the climate movement, particularly after they'd funnelled their... The movement kind of got channelled into supporting the carbon price, and then it's like, OK, well, the carbon price is in. Is our job done now? Like, where, where to now? So the the climate movement sort of ran out of puff for many years, and now it's back with a vengeance. So I, for one, am very excited to see... You all this Extinction Rebellion and school strike stuff going on. It's uh, much needed. And in fact, sp- uh, no, I won't talk about that now because I'm going to ring uh, O'Neill uh, about West Papua, but uh, Bernie Sanders has just announced a new climate policy uh, on the Green New Deal, so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on too. All right. I'll just play a quick announcement and we'll see if we can get uh, O'Neill on the line. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one at 3CR Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Broadband return playing the tote boundary Sunday, September 1st. Having completed an 11 city Japanese tour, they now launch their Japanese released album along with US split vinyl. Very special guests are Japanese label mates 20 Gilders, featuring Mitsuru Tabata of Acid Mother's Temple. Light Magnetic, the new band with members from The Scientists and Paradise Motel, plus competition team. Broadband, The Tote, Sunday, September 1st. Tickets, $10 pre-sale from the thetotehotel.oztix.com.au. Kazumuin Records is a 3CR supporter. Alrighty, welcome back. You are listening to Greenleaf Radio on 3CR. 
Yeah. Um, on the in the, on the line right now we have um, O'Neill, who is a West Papuan um, activist, um, and so we have him on the line because um, the West um, West Papuan Solidarity Activists are organising a snap protest um, that's going to be on today at 11 a.m. Um, I don't have the details off the top of my head, but hopefully O'Neill yeah. will be able to tell us. Um, yes. So good morning, O'Neill. Morning, morning, how are you? Yeah, very good. Um, what can you tell us um, about the current situation in West Papua, like especially in terms of why this sort of upcoming protest has been called? Yep, so at the moment in West Papua uh, is an emergency situation, to be honest. Mm. And due to a lot of riots sparked by uh, discrimination action by the uh police and military to our West Papuan students in Jaffa. So a lot of a lot of um uh, military has been sent last night to uh some of uh, our our main cities like in Sorong, in Jaipura, the capital city of West Papua and Manokwari and Biak. <laughs> so and then there is an action from the Ministry of um, Telecommunication in Indonesia to stop to block the internet and communication to West Papua, and it's hard for us as a student in Australia to get in contact with our family back home, and it's hard for us to get information from back home. So mm. the this, the riot actually happens due to um uh, uh the uh, activity uh, um the action of the the police Indonesian police towards uh, uh our students in Surabaya which just happens in um August 15 2019 and uh, there was peaceful demonstration by Papuan students and then was brutally dispersed by reactionary civilian militias and the TNI, Indonesian Armed Forces, and police in Malang, and also uh, the students. The students in Malang were did they did a um, peaceful demonstration due to uh, West Papua civilians in Duga Regency that has been murdered. Uh, more than 180 of them uh, passed away, and thousands were displaced. So. A lot of a lot of uh, oppressions by the military, and I think the community, uh, West Papuan community, from every layer of the community, the, the fathers, the families, the children, the students, go on the street, ask for their rights and justice, because uh, we we're tired of, of being a second class, being discriminated, and um, the. The, the day they treat our students wrong in in Jaffa actually you know spark spark the fire. Mm. Yeah, then, so, yeah. Yes. So um so what has been um can you tell us a bit about what what has actually do you have any idea what why is um what has actually triggered this sort of wave of repression? I mean we know that um Indonesia's continued to occupy West Papua, but what has been what do you think has triggered this sort of recent sort of um, re- re- um wave of repression? Um, so, so what's happening is it's, uh, the, the chronology of the story, uh, 
It's on 18th of August 19th where they, they, they teach the West Papua Student Dormitory in Surabaya. It's Jaffa. Hmm. So, so the, the it's just after Independence Day of Indonesia, 17th of August. And then there's, there's, um, I think a sabotage or something, um, where they, they, they blame that one of the students has been treated, um, Indonesian flags wrong in front of the dormitory. So it's, it's, it's a way of disrespect, uh, Indonesian flag. And that's why the military and then the citizen militia, uh, youth surrounding, um, the, the student dormitory, and then they're actually sending um, a special force called the Kopassus to, to, yeah, to, to, to ambush, to siege the, the dormitory, which uh, later on they imprisoned 42 students, our students, was Papuan students in Surabaya. And they, they didn't do it in, in, in positive manner. They go there and call them monkey and dogs. And the students actually asked him to uh, come over and have a seat and talk about what's the matter, why are you guys surrounding us? But then they just come and attack our students. So our students will, you know, uh, the pictures already shared in social media. Uh, they're, they're bleeding. <laughs> then, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's full on discrimination. And then, through social media, uh, we saw all the pictures all around um, West Papua, and then we start to bring our, you know, all the activists, all the uh, all the people, come to the street, and then ask ask for justice, ask to release our students in Surabaya because at the moment they're still in prison. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're still in prison, and then. Again, uh, the military has been sent to West Papua and no internet communication to West Papua has been blocked by the Ministry of, Indonesian Ministry of uh, uh, Technology and Communications. Hmm. So th- that's what actually trigger the, the riots everywhere in West Papua at the moment. Hmm. And um, what can you can you tell us a bit more about um, the solidarity protest that's been organised um, today? Like, what is sort of the location and details yes, yes. and sort of the demands? Definitely. So, three of the demand is um, we act on racial issues towards West Papuan students in Indonesia and to release the, our students, West Papuan students in Surabaya and Malang. Because it's been uh, it's been a week already, and then they've they've done nothing wrong. We 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 have our share. We have our rights and freedom to raise our flag, Morning Star flag, uh, everywhere we go. It's our our identity. And then the second one, the third one is uh, to provide trauma relief for Nduga uh, bombing victims after the uh, after the bombing by Indonesian military in our. Highland region area, Konduga, done in um, 16 December last year. Until now, there is no international NGO interventions. There's no emergency relief provided to these people. 180 people passed away, our family, our children, and also 1,000 displaced. So, yeah, we, we demand justice. We demand 
um, trauma relief, emergency relief to this family that has been left behind. And we want international NGO, international community to come and, you know, do action in solidarity and then send help to our family back home. Yeah, so that's three of um, our demands. So the place will be in um, uh, Indonesian Consulate at 72 Queens Road, Melbourne, Victoria. Uh, today, Friday 23rd, and it's going to be start on 11 a.m., so soon. Hmm. So, yes, uh, we're going to have a couple of speech, and um, it's peaceful protest, so, yeah, we already organized the um, the action with the with the police, so, so nothing, nothing radical. So, this, yeah, um Please, please come and join us, mm-hmm. and we need we need as much as uh, exposure as possible because uh, we worry about our family back home. Like no communications, no internet, so uh, we don't know what's exactly happening uh, in back in West Papua. Hmm. Um, Zane, do you have a question? Um, yeah, Neil, I was just interested. It seems like. Uh, Racism is really being used to justify this attack on the students in Surabaya and the broader ongoing occupation of West Papua. Is that uh, a sort of new development or has that kind of been an ongoing sort of theme or or an ongoing way that that that, that occupation is justified? Yes, um, to be honest, uh, if you ask this question to each of West Papuans, we already feel it in our blood and bones of racism since we were growing up, since we were a kid. We already experienced it, but it's just the language, the language to, you know, to, to speak it out, to understand it. It's not, it's not being, um, you know, teach, it's not being taught to like to a wider society, wider community. Um, Indonesia don't have a, uh, curriculum on understanding racism and discrimination and tribes in our West Papuan history, and we've been brainwashed with with Indonesian history. We don't have uh, you know knowledge on what's happening to our community back home. Not like in here in Australia, it's not it's not it's not um, transparent to us. We mm. experience this every every day, every day since we were a kid. But as a second class citizen. But we never, we never fight it. We never fight it due to military regime. We're being terrorized in our mind. So mm. it's hard for us to express ourselves because, uh, whatever we're doing as, uh, to show our cultural or our, our identity, we, we end up being terrorized by the military again. Our first enemy is the military. So it's hard for us to fight it back. And then now with the large number of you know, community down the street do the action. It's actually uh, motivate other community from other region to step up and then walk on the street. So mm. it's been happening for too long. And then enough is enough. We're all tired. We're all tired. This is like what's happening in in Africa or in in here in Australia or in in South America. It's same as everywhere. People are tired. People are tired. Mm. 
Yeah. So, um, can you, um, um, I guess to close up into you, um, in terms of like, um, could you repeat the kind of protest details, um, especially for any okay. listeners who and also oh. how people can sort of support the West, um, support the West Papuan struggle in addition to coming along to this protest? Sweet. So, this is to be, uh, I'm going to read the, uh, the media read. So, Melbourne, Victoria, 19th of August marks the World Humanitarian Day. So, we celebrate the significance of this day. The 300 kilometers of north coast, the West Papuans are mobilizing and take it to the street in protest of discrimination and racial attacks towards the West Papuan students in Surabaya on 17th of August. The racially motivated civilians and Indonesian army surrounded the West Papuan dormitory while singing and chanting, get rid of the Papuans and calling the students monkeys. So along with the 42 students, that taking to the custody, we will ask, we demand for justice. And huge numbers of Papuans, men and women, took in the street for, for protest through racist remarks. Thousands of people from various cities in West Papua staging protests, calling out the Indonesian government to investigate the incident to bring the racist criminal to justice. So the West Papuan Solidarity in Melbourne in inviting all the concerned citizens, humanitarian groups, Politicians and media journalists to participate in peaceful rally in front of the Consulate General of Indonesia to call the Indonesian government to act on racial issues towards West Papua in Indonesia, release all West Papuan students who were unlawfully detained, and to provide the emergency relief and trauma relief for people in West Papuan people in Nduga region. So the peaceful rally on Friday, 23rd of August, will commence at 11 a.m. at the front gate of Indonesian Consulate General, 72 Queens Road, Melbourne, Victoria. And if you can make it to um, the action today, you can just visit uh, the colonized West Papua. We are, there's a petition going on around in social media, so you can just sign up, you know, um, to put West Papua back to the UNC24 decolonization list. So please visit the website. So, yeah, that's a bit of detail of what's happening around. Yeah, wicked. All right. Well, um, yeah, good to see you organising this uh, solid, um, yeah, show of support from uh, from Melbourne for your your comrades back in West Papua and and in Surabaya. It's uh, yeah, good to see you, Neil. And uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully there's a good turnout at the rally today. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully the uh, the campaign to for for a free and independent West Papua continues to to build support and and traction. Yep, yep, we're looking forward to that. For sure, man. All right, thanks heaps. And uh, Thank yeah, you. We'll, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, cheers. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, O'Neill there. Uh, talking about the West Papua Solidarity protest that's happening at 11am today at the Indonesian Consulate on Queens Road, and we'll give that another little plug uh, at 8 o'clock when the activist calendar comes around. All right, we'll display a, a quick announcement. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street, and... I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society, and I think that's where a lot of these people are. 
but I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. VCR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to more VCR Community Radio. Please subscribe now. تستمعون إلى إذاعة 3CR Community Radio الآن. نينغل نغلين سموهاتي 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 نغلين Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio y Gayaranin, por Tsangudam el Bumihai Kaotin. Hima Arzanakrevetsek y Pertriciari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. We're not alone in this fight, that there are many non-Aboriginal people that are willing to stand with us to protect country, protect water. You know, these, these people here get it. They understand why this is so important to our people. Well, I'm expected probably to get locked up, to tell you the truth. Um, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to protect our women's space and our women's country as well, as trees and that. So, um, yeah, and we'll just keep coming back and doing what we have to do. All right, and yeah, a couple little updates from the Jabberung protest camp there. You are listening to Grain Life Radio on 3CR. It's Friday morning, it's 7.37. Uh, what's going on, Jacob? Yeah, so um, this is just a bit of a, um, a, a bit of a tragic and terrible. Oh, sorry, especially in the context of the climate crisis. But um, there's been an international. Uh, inter- this is a, um, from the article uh, in, on Green Left Weekly. International emergency as fires devastate Brazil's rainforest. And so to open up, um, to summarise, um, the, the hashtag um, pray for Am- Amazonia um, went viral on August 20th as social media users attempted to draw the world's attention to the Amazon rainforest, which has been devastated for weeks by fires so intense they can be seen from space. According to the Euro News, it is unclear whether the fires were caused by agricultural activity or deforestation, which have both accelerated rapidly under Brazilian um, President Jair Bolsonaro, who made opening the Amazon to corporate exploitation a a key plank of of his election campaign. Twitter users on August 20th slammed um, the media for paying too little attention to the Amazon blazes, particularly given um, the essential role the rainforest plays in absorbing planet warming um, carbon dioxide, a capacity that earned the nickname Lungs of the World. And of course, the Amazon has been burning for three weeks, and I'm... I'm just now finding out because of the lack of media coverage, wrote one observer. This is one of the most important ecosystems on Earth. 
and satellite data um, collected um, by the Brazilian government's National Space Research Institute, INPE, published in June, showed that deforestation has risen dramatically under Bolsonaro, who dismissed um, the research as a lie and fired INPE director Richard Garrow for defending the data. As The Guardian reported, the INPE findings showed the Amazon lost 737.39 km during the 31 days of May equivalent to two football pitches every minute. And of course, uh, and as Newsweek reported on August 20th, one large fire which started in late July burnt around 1,000 hectares of an environmental reserve in the Brazilian state of Rondoel, located on the border with Bolivia. This blaze, along with others in the region, created dense plumes of smoke that spread far across the state, endangering the health of people living in the area and the lives of animals. And two weeks ago, the state of Amazonias in the northwest of the country declared a state of emergency in response to an increase of the number of fires there. Various fires have also been burning in the state of Mato Grosso, according to satellite imagery. The fires have also have become so intense that smoke from the blaze darkened the afternoon sky on Monday in Sao Paulo, Brazil's most populous city. And the Amazon rainforest has been on fire for weeks and it's so bad it's literally blotting out the sun miles away, tweeted Robert McGuire, research director of the United, of, uh, the United States government watchdog. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, a terrifying kind of summary of kind of the situation of a sort of terrible rainforest, especially since, you know, the, um, while it's sort of not clear, you know, the Bolsonaro government is complete, probably completely complicit in, in this, um, in this, um, fire, um, 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 fire, especially since the, the Bolsonaro government has basically, you know, it made pretty much a central election promise that we're going to make more room for deforestation of the great, uh, of the Amazon forest, etc. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's another article at Vice News, uh, the Amazon's on fire, and Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is stoking a baseless conspiracy theory, pinning the blame on non-government organisations that protect rainforests. He claims the groups lit the blazes to call attention against me, against the Brazilian government, uh, without any evidence at all. The fires drew international attention this week, as you've just spoken about, and uh, the... Uh, and the, while fires set by farmers to clear land could be the blame for some blazes in the Amazon, Bolsonaro, whose support for deforestation in the face of environmental protests has earned him the nickname Captain Chainsaw, stuck by blaming NGOs. Uh, Bolsonaro campaigned on loosening deforestation restrictions to promote commercial interests, and as president, he's followed through. Since he took office in January, the Amazon has lost about 1,330 square miles of forest, which represents a 39% increase over the same period last year. Brazil's National Institute for Space Research said this week that there have been 74,155 fires in the country so far this year, most of which were in the Amazon. That represents an 80% increase over last year. Uh, It's tough to pinpoint exactly how each fire started, but most experts agree that humans are to blame for the uptick. Christian Poirier, uh, the program director for non-profit organisation Amazon Watch, pinned the fires on cattle ranchers and loggers clearing land. And there's another article at fireaviation.com, 
President Evo Morales announced on Wednesday that Bolivia has ordered the 747 super tanker to assist firefighters battling a massive outbreak of wildfires in the Amazon basin. So this is another thing that Jair Bolsonaro has said is, oh, we don't have the resources to fight these fires. Meanwhile, across the border in Bolivia, uh, they're getting stuck into it. So th- this huge air tanker, identified as Tanker 944, can carry up to 19,200 gallons or 72,680 uh, litres of water or fire retardant and it's scheduled to depart from Sacramento Airport in the USA and arrive in Viru Viru International Airport in Bolivia. And, yeah, it's being leased from this company called Global Super Tanker. So, uh, yeah, good to see that the Bolivian government that actually cares about protecting rainforests is, uh, you know, putting its money where its mouth is, putting some resources into fighting these these fires. All right, uh, we'll play a few quick announcements and then move on to uh, our next uh, second interview for the program. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR. Radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun, which way the wind blows. All right, welcome back. It is a quarter to eight now, and you're on 3CR. It's Green Life Radio with Zane and Jacob. And on the phone, we have Eric, who's going to talk to us about the ongoing protests in Hong Kong. Welcome, Eric. Morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, so, um, Eric, um, what can you, can you give us a bit of a summary, just for someone, um, just because there's probably a lot of listeners who are probably not yeah. aware of 
possibly haven't been following the politics much of the Hong Kong protests. Can you give a kind of summary, I guess, of the political situation in, that's unfolding in Hong Kong right now? Oh, yeah, sure. So this whole protest moment started about um, three months ago in June. So uh, it's triggered by uh, Hong Kong's government's attempt to force a change to the extradition law back in Hong Kong. So the whole point about that law is to allow transfer wanted persons into Chinese jurisdiction. So um, I'm not sure whether you've, uh, you're already aware, but Hong Kong's under a different um, law system under the one country two system. So in Hong Kong, we have basic we have the um, basic rule of law. So um, it runs on the common law, and it has um, independent jurisdiction. But um, as you know, back in China, it's not the case. So understandably, it triggered a lot of fear about um, the proposed law, and that's how the whole movement started. So um, at the peak of the protest, there was about two million people marching in the streets of Hong Kong. So that's basically one-fourth of the entire city's population, which is pretty remarkable. And you can see that like, not everyone can physically go to protest. And that's basically like a universal movement to oppose this law. And since then, the movement has morphed into not just for the withdrawal of the law, but a broader democratic movement for Hong Kong. So um, in Hong Kong, um, under the basic law, um, it was guaranteed that Hong Kong will remain its freedoms and, um, for 50 years. And what happened is that... Um, it was guaranteed by Beijing that Hong Kong will eventually achieve democracy, universal suffrage, um, a free election for the parliament and the chief executive. So for 22 years, that's what people of Hong Kong wanted, but that didn't happen. It was promised in 2012 that it did not happen. So um, it was considered a broken promise. And that's what's happening in Hong Kong right now, is that people are fighting for their basic rights under our mini-constitution. Mm. And um, what the protesters are demanding in Hong Kong is, like, the first most important one is to achieve universal suffrage that was promised by our mini-constitution and the release of um, arrest the protesters in this movement and the, in, um, and the withdrawal of the extradition laws. So, yeah, that's a, that's a basic context of What's happening in Hong Kong right now? Uh, Eric, I've been uh, having some debates with people and discussions about these protests on uh, Facebook. Now, one of the arguments that's been raised is that these protests are basically organised by the CIA as part of the trade war with China. Can you respond to that uh, theory? That is definitely not the case. So <laughs> the movement is entirely homegrown. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, U.S. is having a trade war with China. That is true, but um, there's just no interest in the United States with Hong Kong. It's just descending to chaos. So there have been rumors that protesters are taking money from CIA, and that is... Uh, Ridiculous claim. Um, the determination of the protesters, uh, 
they are not driven by money, but the desire for democracy. So, um, yeah. I'm, 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 oh, sorry, Oh, yeah, I wanted to, um, on that sort of desire for democracy, I kind of wanted you to, um, I wanted to ask the question that sort of expands on that. And what do you think, um, do you think this, um, particular movement, and if you can also explain, um, when I mention this as well, um, the context for it, do you think that sort of, conti- this current movement, um, that's happening in Hong Kong, is it kind of like continuing kind of the legacy of the previous umbrella movement, um, that happened kind of, um, years ago in Hong Kong, which involved quite a lot of, um, mass protests, um, for democratic rights? Oh yes, this is definitely um, like the, the umbrella movement is definitely a pre-co of this movement. So back in 2014, um, the umbrella movement is basically um, a democratic movement to try to achieve universal suffrage. And back then, um, protesters um, tried to use peaceful methods, anti-peaceful methods. There was a peaceful sitting, an occupation of one of the main roads in uh, the central area of Hong Kong. That lasted for 79 days. So what happened back then is the government tried to establish um, so-called dialogues with protesters. So the protesters gave in, so they dispersed eventually. But what happened afterwards is that the protest leaders were arrested and they were jailed. So after that, there has been um, multiple occasions of democratically elected MPs being disqualified by the government. So that is the um, that is sort of like kind of like the historical back, backdrop of what happened. So after the umbrella movement, there's been um, what you can say is that uh, there's been a frustration amount um, democratic activists that the existing system, like the Parliament of Hong Kong, and the election system can no longer be honored, to be honest. So um, they've tried to change things within the system. They've tried to get democratically elected, legislated to get elected. But what happened is that a lot of them were disqualified. That was back in 2016. So for five years, there's been different methods of trying to change the political system within Hong Kong, which is unsuccessful. Um, that sort of sort as a view of this movement, so like there's been a lot of frustration among Hong Kongers that something has to be done, and within that time period, there has been a lot of um, incidents that shown there has been an eroding of freedoms in Hong Kong. So um, a few years ago, in 2016, there were a few booksellers in Hong Kong that were just kind of disappeared. Um, these booksellers, they sell books that are critical of Beijing. And um, that was entirely legal, legal in Hong Kong. But then what happened is that um, they were later found out to be detained in China, mainland China. So that is what happened. That is um, that is the risk people have to take when they voice different opinion or being critical of Beijing. They risk being arrested, they risk being detained or even kidnapped to mainland China for unfair trials. Hmm. So um, I guess that just shows how dangerous this extradition law is because like, if there's a legal way that Beijing can get 
political dissidents from Hong Kong, they will do so. That is what the critics of this law believe. And um, as I've mentioned, this is not an unfounded fear. Hmm. Uh, just to just further on that, one of the theories that I've also seen raised by people kind of taking, I guess you would say, a pro-China position is that the extradition bill is exclusively for serious criminal matters. Um, it's only for matters for which you could be imprisoned for over seven years and which are already a criminal offence in Hong Kong and it's explicitly not for political dissidents. And I've even heard one of the almost like progressive um, ways of selling these extradition laws is if you have corrupt Chinese Communist Party officials from the mainland who want to um, avoid corruption charges in the mainland, they can run away to Hong Kong with all their billions of dollars and avoid getting extradited back under the current system uh, to to the mainland to face charges for for corruption. Uh, so, are you able to respond to this idea that it's it's not aimed at political protest and it's about fighting corruption? Uh, yes. So that's how the law is drafted on paper. But as you know, the court system in China it's not there's no there's no independence of the court. Hmm. So. In a lot of Chinese courts, the judges are actually party members, and they can only be party members. And it's, it raises a serious um, concern about, um, even though they say they are not going to bring political charges, and they are not going to uh, extradite people that are like, based on political views, but then if you look at cases in China in particular, um, they often don't use these charges against the dissidents. I can raise an example for this, Ai Weiwei. So he's a very famous dissident in China and good artist. But what he's been charged are tax offenses. These are, on the face of it, they're entirely non-political. But if you look into it, um, they're actually using these charges to, to silence dissidents. So they don't necessarily need to charge you with, like, say, um, inciting rebellion against the government. They can find out, and it's quite easy to do because of the taxation laws in China, that you're actually committing a crime in terms of having tax offenses. So there are a lot of cases like this, and this is why people are quite um, distrust about the legal system of China. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I have a quick one. Questions I have, um, especially in terms of the context of um, some of the solidarity protests that have mm. been organised. Um, so some of the solidarity protests um, have. It's been great that these solidarity protests have been happened, but unfortunately they've also been met with sort of counter protests um, mm. by pro um, Beijing sort of counter protesters. Yeah. I mean, in in all sense, they're probably were well within their right to express their political viewpoint or their political yeah. opposition. But something that um, has been kind of concerning me. Um, in terms of the aftermath of those protests is it seems that the Australian state, as in the Australian government, is trying to kind of use this um, as a kind of pretense to kind of push sort of anti-kind of Chinese racism, like in a sense co-opting the Hong Kong protests cause to mm. push a kind of anti-Chinese sort of 
uh, anti-Chinese racism. And I kind of want to hear what what are your comments on on that? <laughs> mm. I think in this area, there's two points to raise. So the first point is that it's very important to make a distinction between the Chinese state and its people. So when you talk about the disruptive behavior of the counter protesters, the pro um, the pro Beijing protesters, um, um, I do not support their actions, their disruptive behaviors, but in a way I understand why this is the case. If you look at um, the Chinese propaganda machine, it's very powerful and it's far-reaching. Um, for years, they've been pushing narratives and metrics um, of pro-Chinese um, narratives. And um, if you grow up in that environment, say you go to Australia, um, in your teens or in your 20s, then you've been exposed to this kind of um, highly controlled and censored type of media for 20 years. There are multiple sources of news, but there's only one voice in China. Hmm. And this is a case of what happened um, and how they, how they use the frames against, like, say, the buttons and... Um, Muslim minorities in, in Xinjiang. Um, the Chinese media frame as, as like the Hong Kong protesters as violent criminals. And if you grow up in China, you have no reason to question the narrative. That's the only voice you hear from state media and other um, media in Hong Kong, um, in China. So it's understandable. Um, it is a difficult issue to tackle because as I said, the Chinese propaganda machine is powerful and far-reaching. They've been doing it for 70 years, and they're more powerful than ever before. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge that this is the work of the Chinese Communist regime, and the Chinese people are victims as well. So I guess what I want to say is that... Um, Personally, has a certain amount of time to read the news every day, and if you're from China and all your friends and all your network are using Chinese state-sponsored media, that's that's probably the only biased news that you read in the morning. And to tackle this, I guess it's um, we do need to um, try to get. Chinese in Australia to to read um, local news and try to open the source, try to um, try to get into like try to get into the echo chamber to to counter the propaganda of the Chinese Communist Party. And the second point I want to raise is that um, these Chinese uh, Communist Party sponsored media they are also spreading discrimination against um, Tibetans and Hong Kongers. Um, so I've been involved in a few um, protests, pro-democracy protests in in Melbourne, and um, as you mentioned, some of the time kind of protests could be quite aggressive. And I've got a few friends. Um, I've got a few mainland Chinese friends, and they they have been in Melbourne for many years, so they've kind of see through the. Uh, the propaganda machine of the Chinese government, but they still have a network and they still use those media. And, 
and what they've seen in those um, Chinese state-sponsored media is that um, since the start of protest, um, they've been trying to frame a narrative that is um, quite concerning. So um, Hong Kong protesters have been described as cockroaches, and a lot of articles, they kind of brand Hong Kong people as violent criminals. So I guess that explains why some of them are really angry when they see Hong Kongers go on protest. And I, I think that's um, the second point I would raise is that we need to counter that narrative as well. Um, a lot of Chinese people, they honestly believe all Hong Kong protesters are violent separatists. That is not the case. Um, the protesters are trying to get, get democracy under the framework of one country to assistance. That is what is promised in our mini constitution. So, yep, I hope that there's a way to counter the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda machine, but um, that is the work of, I guess, government. And um, what we can do here is to spread um, news that are not biased and try to reach out to the Chinese community to explain um, what is really happening in Hong Kong. Hmm. Yeah, and Zane, do you have a, another question to add? Um, because we're getting close to finishing up the interview. Yeah, we've got to get on to the activist calendar, I guess. It's not quite as, uh, it doesn't seem quite as um, imminent right now, but probably a week, a week and a half ago, it looks like there was a, a real prospect of at least some sort of um, military... Uh, mm. force being deployed from the mainland into Hong Kong to try and um, quell the, the protests. How likely do you think that is, particularly if the protests maintain the current level of vigorousness? Uh, it is very concerning, um, especially when their satellite photos are showing um, gathering of troops alongside the border of Hong Kong. Um, they say they can, re- they can reach Hong Kong in 10 minutes. Um, but to be honest... Um, I don't think the protesters in Hong Kong will back down. A lot of the young people that goes on the streets, um, they actually have a letter of will in their backpack in case um, of in case the worst happens. Um, so it is certainly a risk, and um, I think watch the only thing we can keep the protesters safe in Hong Kong is international pressure. So right now, the U.S. Um, whether it's progressive or conservative, they're, they're all behind um, the protesters right now. So I think with the watchful eyes of the international community, there may be a chance that the situation can be diffused and um, the Chinese Communist Party may be deterred from using force in Hong Kong. Hmm. That is my hope. And conversely, how likely do you think it is that they will win their demand in particular around um, universal suffrage? Um, I am cautiously optimistic. Hmm. So, um, so right now, um, international attention of what's happening in Hong Kong is growing. And if it grows strong enough, then it puts, a, it puts pressure on Beijing to finally fulfill its promise it made in 1984, and yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. So as long as the protesters stay relatively peaceful, 
and they, if they continue to enjoy the support of the international community, I think there is hope. So I can say for like for 22 years, it's the first time that there is hope for democracy in Hong Kong. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a very significant victory too if it's hmm. uh, if it happens. And uh, it, despite what you say about the way that people are quite indoctrinated on the mainland, uh, that would surely have to have some sort of ripple or flow-through effect if uh, if the Hong Kong protesters are able to win universal suffrage there. Yeah. And it might be a, it might be the beginning of true democracy in China. Hmm. Hmm. All right, well, um, we better wrap it up, but uh, thank you very much for speaking with us this thank morning, you very much. Eric. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at the next uh, solidarity protest, no doubt, in, uh, in Melbourne. All thank right. You Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Uh, yes, Eric there, who's an uh, expat um, Hong Kong resident living in Melbourne, and, um, yeah, as you've just heard, a pretty detailed kind of description of the political lay of the land with the protests happening there. All right, we'll just play a quick announcement, and then we're going to have the activist calendar. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. All right, um, so now it's time for the activist calendar. Um, now, it might be a bit out of chronicle order because I'm going from, I'm switching from an email to the Facebook because uh, the activist calendar on the email doesn't have all the events, but Facebook has some of the other events. Um, so happening today, um, there'll be a, a rally stand against systematic racism in West Papua. Um, they'll be at 11 a.m. at 72 Queens Road in Melbourne. Um, um, from 6.30 to 7.30, there'll be uh, a, a rally organised by the United Voice um, Casino Union, um, and they'll be org- um, they have a protest at 6.30pm tonight um, outside the Convention Centre at Southbank, opposite Merriwell um, Restaurant, um, so that's happening today. Um, and also, I might promote this, this is just a, <laughs> this is just something happening, um, on during White Night, but the band Cable Tires, which is quite a political left-wing band, will be performing at the Jack and Bones Island Bar from 8pm at 107 Flinders Lane, and I think that's a free show. Ooh, tonight? Yep. Sick. Um, now, tomorrow, um, there is a solidarity convoy for the Jabberon um, Embassy um, from 9.30am at the Shrades Hall car park um, in Carlton. There'll be a rally to save public housing at 1pm at Grom Place, West Brunswick. And then again on Sunday, there'll be a protest for the Amazon Forest at 10am at the Federation Square on Sunday. And then on Monday um, from 8am to 8.45am, Justice for Tanya Day, there'll be a pre-inquest smoking ceremony. And that will be at... um, Trying to find out... 
at King's Domain. So at King's Domain near um, Flinders, Flinders Street. Um, just let me quickly do a quick... And, oh yes, the next thing will be there is a rally to save Foots Grave Park at on Tuesday um, 27th of August um, from 5.45pm at the Footscray Town Hall. And then on Tuesday, 27th of August, there'll be a car film screening, Land in Freedom. Um, and then, let me do now switch to the email. I should hopefully be able to get a bit more events here. Um, and yes, I also encourage you to re- visit the Jabberon um, Tent Embassy if you're able to. Um, and yeah, the Solidarity um, Brigade would definitely be a good way of visiting. Um, so the next events that are coming up is... Okay, so, yep. Oh, yes, another thing, this is on Sunday, August the 25th, but there'll be a moral meeting for Barman Yusuf, who was an Iranian refugee and actress, and that's at 2pm at the Kurdish Democratic Community Centre, 36 Faulkner Road in Pasco Vale. Um, <clears throat> on Saturday the 31st of August, there'll be a rally, protest against religious exemptions, um, no bill, no right to discriminate. They'll be at 1pm Saturday, August the 31st. Um, and then Wednesday, public meeting, Anthony Lewinstein reports on the drug war, and they'll be happening at Wednesday, September 11th, 7pm at the Room 1 of the Shrades Hall, um, hosted by the New International Bookshop. And then there'll be a film screening, film screening and public meeting, Turkey Threatens Rojava Revolution, and they'll be happening at um, the Blue Room, first floor of the Multicultural Hub, at 506 Olivia Street in the city, and it's hosted by um, Australians for Kurdistan. And then finally, the last thing is Friday, September 20th, is the Global Climate Strike, 2pm at the Treasury Gardens. Be there or be square, it's going to be epic. So epic. Get your union, bring people from your workplace, get your union on board, get amongst it. All right, so we are going to play you an update shortly from the uh, Adani, um, various uh, Stop Adani stuff that's going on up in Queensland. Just before we do that, I just had a quick story I wanted to read you, and this is from CNN, just uh, coming through overnight. Uh, Sanders has announced a $16.3 trillion Green New Deal policy as part of his run for uh, pre-selection as the Democratic presidential candidate. Uh, Sanders was an early backer of the, there's a report at CNN, Sanders was an early backer of the activist-inspired Green New Deal framework and introduced with reps Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Earl Blumenauer a resolution in July to declare climate change a national emergency. Young people, advocates, tribes, cities and states all over the country have already begun this important work, the campaign says in its new pitch, and we will continue to follow their lead. The Sanders plan channels the rhetoric of the climate movement calling for a World War II-style mobilisation to halt and reverse the effects of global warming over a decade. In the process, the campaign claims it would create 20 million new jobs in steel and auto manufacturing, construction, energy efficiency retrofitting, coating and server farms, and renewable power plants. Sanders' prime targets include meeting the IPCC goal of 100% renewable energy for electricity and transport by 2030, cutting domestic emissions by 71% over that period, creating a $526 billion electric smart grid, investing $200 billion in the Green Climate Fund, and prioritising what activists call a just transition for fossil fuel workers who would be dislocated during the transition. 
The Vermont Independent would also cut off billions in subsidies to fossil fuel companies and impose bans on extractive practices, including fracking, mountaintop coal mining, uh, while halting the import and export of coal, oil and natural grass. Additionally, he would use his Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission to pursue criminal and civil cases against energy companies that hid or withheld information over decades about the damage their businesses were doing to the environment. The proposal is the most to depth in date from Sanders, who says it will pay for itself over 15 years and includes new details on the potential funding sources. The most significant, at an estimated $6.4 trillion, would come from revenue generated by the sale of clean energy, which will be administered by publicly owned utilities between 2023 and 2035. Before that, Sanders would cut military spending used to protect global energy interests by more than $1.2 trillion, while hitting up fossil fuel companies for more than $3 trillion in litigation against polluters, fees and taxes. An additional $2.3 trillion, the campaign says, would be raised from the payroll taxes paid on the 20 million new jobs it promises to create. So, yeah, that's uh, really positive stuff to uh, to see and uh, hopefully Bernie gets pre-selected as the presidential candidate and there will be a really stark choice there between re-electing Donald Trump or uh, voting for Bernie on the back of a climate, uh, a, a Green New Deal amongst other you know, progressive policies. So, yeah, good stuff to see. All right, we are going to play you a uh, update about Adani. Could you just dis- describe to me what you're doing? I've got both my arms locked inside a uh, bendy steel tube, which is uh, around this trailer, which has, uh, I think, a drilling rig of some kind or some kind of equipment used by Adani. And my intention is to stop this progress of any kind going on on this Adani project for as long as I can. Yep. And so how do you feel on a physical level right now? You, I can see you're sitting on the ground. You've got your arms around the kind of the, the, one of the big struts on the drill rig, metal struts. And so on a physical level, how are you feeling now? Um, well, it's no armchair job, put it that way. Um, I'm, it's definitely not the most comfortable position I've ever sat in for a long time, but um, I don't mind. I've got a nice cushion under me. Can I beg the deeper question of how you feel on an emotional level? This is pretty amazing to be... Well, this is, this is quite um, an unusual thing to be doing, yeah? Um, yes, it's not something you do every day. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, I feel like I've made the right decision to do this today for future generations, for all life, for the environment and the animals here. I feel like this is the right decision and um, I stand by that, and uh, I'll be here as long as I can. I can see it says on the um, on the on this metal tube. The, the lockbox is made up of two metal tubes that, that are joined where your hands are, and it, on the side in solder it, it says resist. I'm not sure about the other one. It says um, one life, one chance, and on the other side I think it says resist and defend.
So I didn't write those words, but I'm totally behind them, and um, <laughs> and I I rep that 100%. Yep. Much of it. Could you do just a few more verses? Just again, a couple of times, please. Come on, I didn't get it. For the radio, a few more. Gonna build that man. No, 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 Adani. Never gonna build that man. No, 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 Adani. Never gonna build that man. No, 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 Adani. Never gonna build that man. Go, 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 Adani. Never gonna build that man. Go away. Heather, you've been locked on there for about an hour now. How are you going? Um, yep, I'm still here. And um, I'll be here as long as I can. What's your comfort level like? Oh, uh, you know... Um, I didn't expect to be comfortable coming out here. I don't think you do something like this without a few aches and pains, but um, I'm still quite quite prepared to go the distance, and uh, I'm all right. <laughs> so you feel you've thought this through, and you're happy to be where you are, locked onto this drill rig. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that I that we're stopping work right now. Although you know, I'll say again that. Uh, these workers here are not the enemy, and um, I hope they can find sustainable employment somewhere else in a more sustainable industry. And um, really, we're fighting Adani, and and this project of Adani's. You know, maybe Adani could do something different as well, invest in renewable technology. I think I said that before, but yeah, I'm still here, and I'm still standing up for what. I believe is swap, swap crucial to our future. Are you happy you managed to do the lock-on? Yes, I am. I'm stoked that we managed to um, pull this off without any um, hitches, and uh, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Sorry about the pun, unintended. And that everything's been really peaceful here today, and I'm really happy that the uh, workers have been offered chocolate, and um, you know we've we've been chatting with them, and um, they even offered a, a little stool chair for me to sit on to try and make me a bit more comfortable, which I really appreciate. But I'm, I'm quite okay how I am. What sort of things are running through your mind as you're you're sitting there on the cushion? Oh, just um, hope. A lot of hope I see in the beautiful people, the team around who have helped come together to make this possible. Um, and, you know, I'm just inspired by the people power involved in this movement. And I really believe that we can succeed. And with a movement like this, Adani doesn't have a chance. Have you had any thoughts? Obviously, you're going to be, you know, arrested. And, and uh, have you had any th- thoughts about fines and charges and does it worry you? Obviously those are all things that we all try to do our best to avoid in life under ordinary circumstances but right now 
we're in a climate emergency. Can everyone see me and hear me? Everyone put up your hand if you can see me. Alright, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you all a move on direction. Alright, and yeah, that's a update from the uh, Adani blockade camp put together by Beck Horridge from 3CR's Earth Matters program, who's up there at the moment, um, yeah, supporting and, and documenting what's happening. And, of course, draconian legislation uh, proposed this week by uh, Anastasia Bielke-Palaszczuk, the uh, ALP Premier of Queensland, who wants to clamp down on these protests and, you know, further feather the nest of the coal industry. All right, we are going to finish up this morning... Um, with uh, a famous song, which... What's the go, Jacob, with that anniversary? Do you know? There's some kind of anniversary of From Little Things, Big Things Grow. I'm just trying to open up the email that I got. (laughs) Um, Sorry. I tried to Google it. I couldn't find any paper trail. We got it. We got an email (laughs) before. We got an email. Oh, yes. So, basically, um, it's kind of a... It's Freedom Day today, um, which is August 23rd, and basically radio stations across Australia are playing the iconic um, Paul Kelly, Kev Carbamondi protest song from Little Sings to celebrate the um, Big Sings Grow, to celebrate the epic events that it has, um, it has immortalised. So, yeah, essentially it is marking the, the day. Wave, wave your walk off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wicked. All right, well, without further ado... Uh, from little things, big things grow. We'll catch you next week and stick around for Beyond Zero Emissions who are coming in soon. Gather round people, I'll tell you a story, an eight year long story of power and pride. British Lord Vesey and Vincent Lingyari. We're opposite men on opposite sides. Bestie was fat, money and muscle. Beef was his business, broad was his door. Vincent was lean, spoke very little. He had no bank balance, our dirt was his floor. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. The Ringy were working for nothing but rations, but once they had gathered the wealth of the land, daily the pressure got tighter and tighter. The Ringy decided they must make a stand. They picked up their swags, started off walking at Waddy Creek. They sat themselves down. Now it don't sound like much, but it sure got tongues talking back at the homestead, then in the town. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. man said, I'll double your wages, seven quid a week 
you have in your hand. Vincent said, uh-uh, we're not talking about wages. We're staying right here till we get our land. Festy man road, festy man thundered. You don't stand a chance of a cinder in snow. Vince said if we fall, others arise and from new things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lignari, he boarded an airplane, landed in Sydney, big city of lights. And daily he went round softly, speaking his story to all kinds of men from all walks of life. Vincent sat down with them big politicians. This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. Why, your people are hungry. Vincent said, no thanks. We know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. If you're in it, this is all about reconciliation, so get at it. We want to hear you. Vincent Lignari returned in an airplane back to his country once more to sit down. And he told his people, let the stars keep on turning. We got friends in the south, in the cities and towns. Eight years went by, eight long years of waiting, to one day a tall stranger appeared in the land. And he came with lawyers, came with great ceremony, threw Vincent's fingers on that handful of sand. Go! From little things, big things grow. 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 You can be Aboriginal Idol. You can be it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Time Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of 